Welcome to the Breakdown with Birkenoff episode 5. In today's episode, we will be pondering over many issues uh, that I see in today's in today's week and really politics and news for that matter as a whole topic. But the big thing and the title of the podcast for today is obviously over the Postal Service. And the Postal Service has had a lot of controversy recently due to the fear that many Americans have of election fraud within mail ballots and within mail as the voting system. But before we really dive in too deeply into the issue and into the concern of the news and political commentary of today and of the week, I was first going to give a shout out to Freedom Scoop. Freedom Scoop is a network that I am a part of, along with many other streamers such as Stephen Ingeramus, Jerry Edgar, Generational Gap, the R-rated conservative on D Live, and Anna Voltes as another kind of outreach of the Freedom Scoop program or the Freedom Scoop network. And basically our whole idea is making individual commentary over news or whatever else we find and relating to today that we feel needs to be talked about. And we provide our own perspectives relating to that news and within the the effort of, uh, of what we want to talk about. So basically if you don't like mainstream media and you find their opinions too generic and boring or if you find their opinions aggravating and you feel like they're only repeating the same information you could go to Freedom Scoop and we'll hopefully provide a different take on this on the issues and concerns we have uh, so far in our system but before we really dive in too deeply into the topic I'm gonna make sure all of the platforms are working and also give a shout out to them as well so on my YouTube and DLive are roundtable decision. And in, and real quickly before we, we get into that, before it comes to confusing, basically what I'm doing with this podcast is I do a live stream version on my YouTube, Twitch, and DLive. And then after I do that, it gets, you know, processed and whatever. And I do some editing and I'll publish it to any of the platforms that you might listen to uh, your podcast on, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever else. So that's what I'm checking the chat on. So if you ever want to interact with me while the podcast is going on now, you can as it's live. But if you're hearing this on a podcasting platform, the best case if you want to interact with me uh, during a live podcast is to follow my Twitch or uh, or sorry to follow my Twitter or our uh, uh, discord and I give shout outs to when I plan to go online or uh, do the live stream but my YouTube and DLive are roundtable decision and my Twitch is roundtable talk so now that we got all of that out of the way we can move on to start talking about the first big concern and really the biggest topic of today's or this week's podcast and that is the Postal Service and their whole concerns. And all of this information is linked 
in the description of my YouTube and will be linked in the description of my uh, podcast, whatever you might listen to. So if you ever want to follow any of these articles live or if you want to read what I read on air or look a little bit more into what I brought up, you can go to one of those places to pull up the articles that I read and talk about on air. So now that we got all of that announcements out of the way, we can get into the main concern and the main topic of this week's podcast on the news. So I'll give a a brief overview of the whole topic before I dive into the individual characteristics of the platform itself or the issue itself. So... There's a lot of problems that many, mainly conservatives, are people along the lines that are a little bit afraid of the government system as a whole branch or a whole topic, are slightly afraid that uh, voting by mail brings issue to voting fraud more than any other voting system. And there's also a brief uh, statement that many people have heard made that voting is kind of the lazy man's way to do something. And I think what they mean by that is it doesn't take as much effort to put in a mail vote or a mail ballot to put who you would vote for than actually sitting in a line or standing in a line waiting to physically go up to a voting machine and place your vote that way. There's a little bit more effort involved into actually taking a vote physically rather than through mail. But the biggest issue and biggest concern is really the voting by mail in that it leads to more fraud. And there's a lot of kind of outstanding conditions or outliner, out, uh, outliners to statistics or whatever else you might want to say. That basically there's been stories of people putting their vote in with their cat or with their dog or with a past dead person and that dead person or that cat or that dog placed the vote rather than someone who was actually alive let alone an actual human in the case of a dog or a cat. So those are some concerns that many people have had and that doesn't really happen too often are too much of a major uh, concern if you want to think about it that way. But there is a lot of issues at hand revolved around voting by mail. And I think these issues will largely get seen through the system we're going to talk about and through what these articles bring up as points. As many of the articles don't necessarily see voting by mail a issue. But there are obviously some basic concerns or basic problems you might think of when it comes to voting by mail in a system that is designed around that. So obviously we live in a time of COVID-19. So a lot of people were theorizing even really at the start of this issue and really at the start of becoming more of a tech type of uh, people or tech population that voting by mail or something relating to voting through tech as the Democrats tried early on in the voting process, but it kind of failed miserably as it was a newer technology. But then again, that's not really necessarily the major point that I want to bring up. But the main point that I'm really trying to bring up here is the fact that a lot of people are afraid that voting through mail brings up a lot of chance of fraud to leak into the system. 
And as I was just saying, a lot of people tend to theorize the fact that uh, voting by mail was going to become a higher issue or a higher topic of concern due to COVID. Basically, what, what, what I would say that the vast majority of people and kind of political commentators were, were talking about was the fact that now that COVID has become such a major issue and everything is shut down and the CDC has issued the six-foot distance rule and everything relating to the CDC and their local guidelines or for that matter, your state and county guidelines, it becomes very important to realize the actual impact that these uh, guidelines make on a system. So in other words, the more regulations that a government was making and the more concern that this virus, COVID-19, would last long and even longer than we first expected or at least thought was going to be the case, people theorized, as I said many times now, that voting by mail was going to become the, the main voting way. And Again, as I said, it leads concern to voting fraud. And you might be thinking, well, how so? Well, essentially, there's a couple different ways that the mailing fraud can go. And these articles will briefly talk about each one. So I'm not going to fully issue out each of those voting fraud systems. But I will briefly talk before we dive into the articles about what some people's concerns are in, in, in relation to uh, voting by mail. But essentially, there are a couple different types of voting fraud. Really, I'm going to talk about two before we dive into this first article by CNN. The first system of voting fraud is what I briefly mentioned beforehand. And that is essentially voting as a deceased person or a cat or a dog. Essentially, misplaced votes just because that person didn't physically attend in person. And obviously, there are instances, mainly in Florida, bizarrely, are mainly truthful or I can't think of the words but anyway if it's going to happen it's going to happen in Florida with with deceased people voting in person and not just through mail uh, shout out to the generational gap both Florida residents <laughs> anyway let's, let's not get too sidetracked but that's one way that there are major concerns of voting fraud the second way is essentially a more direct line of fraud and how the best way to describe this method of fraud is that somebody would take your vote and essentially change what you have put and put it in as your name or simply cast out your vote put what they want and say it was you through your signature or whatever else any there's several side bars or sidelines that people can use that are slightly different than using that as a broad fraud example or you could say outreaches of that one example but voting fraud of changing name or changing your vote or maybe even if you vote this certain way putting it in the back and not counting it is something that people are trying to account for within making a voting by mail system useful but also is something that simply voting by mail leads to more fraud examples than voting by person. And talking about the first point, or really the second point I brought up before we dive into the article, I know I've said it a couple times now, but essentially voting by mail is a lot easier. 
and a lot of people are somewhat afraid that simply by voting by mail, it leads to more lazy votes and people who are uninformed in voting. And I'll talk about that point a little bit more throughout the, the main topics and throughout the articles, but I don't necessarily know if that's fully true or fully false. But before we dive in too deeply into general opinions and more just talking, I'll go into the articles and see what uh, these articles have to say and go from there. So this first one is by Marshall Cohen and Christian Holmes of CNN. And the headline reads, Postal Service backs down on changes as at least 20 states sue over potentially mail delays ahead of auction. Embatted Postmaster General Louis DeJoy reversed course Tuesday, saying that all changes being made to the Postal Service would be suspended after the November 3rd election, just as 20 Democratic states announced plans to file federal lawsuits. DeJoy said that some of the deferred decisions mean that retail hours at post offices will not change. Mail processing equipment and blue collection boxes will remain in place and no mail processing facilities will be closed. At least 20 Democratic Attorney Generals across the country are launching a multi-pronged legal effort to push back on recent changes that, distribu that distributed mail delivery across the country and triggered allegations that Trump and his appointees are trying to undermine mail in voting. The Democratic Attorney General's plan to argue that G-Joy is illegally changing mail procedures and have the 2020 election as the post office braces for an unusual high number of mail-in bailouts as voters look to avoid casting bailouts at polling centers while they could potentially contract the coronavirus. And before we move on from there, I was just going to briefly talk about two points more on the Democratic side of the aisle as far as voting, uh, voting um, or mail-in ballots are concerned. So I mostly mention negatives through voting fraud and potential fraud within a mail-in ballot system. But there isn't all negatives when it comes to uh, mailing ballots. A lot of Democrats, and really a, a, a conservative type of ideology or a conservative type of talk, is that the more people get to vote, the better. Basically, you should, as an American, want to vote and place what you think should be the president or what you think should be your senator or what you think should be your representative. You should have some impact within your your community or your country for who gets voted and for who you want to represent you as a nation or as a individual county or whatever else and how small you want to go from there. But essentially, the more people that get to vote and the more people that are educated in voting, the better. And both of those combined creates a perfect voting system to have the best president or the best representative available for for your for 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 your country or for your your place. But so so one of the main arguments of pro that I've heard from mail-in ballots is that you simply by 
trying to change procedures, as this article is talking about, are simply trying to deny mail-in ballots as a system of voting, might be undemocratic or unconstitutional because you're denying American citizens the opportunity to vote. And for a lot of Americans and for a lot of people, voting is something that they take extremely serious and they think is your civil duty and something every American should take seriously. And I do think that there is some truth to to that statement. And there also is truth to the first statement that I was talking about fraud. And both things can be true as I kind of view it as a... Um, as a uh, Venn diagram and you have your one side that is thinking that fraud could be something that is something that is something you should be completely concerned about you have the other side that says look every person should have the opportunity to vote then you have the middle and that's the two sides what they share the people that are agree with both stances and I do think that there is a lot of the middle that's true I often say that when you read a CNN article about one issue and you read a different article by Fox News on the same article, most often what, what's in the middle is the most correct version of that story. So, But I'll continue on reading. The Democratic Attorney General's plan to argue that DeJoy is illegally changing bail procedures ahead of the 2020 election. Oh, I already read that, but I'll keep going. <laughs> As the post office braces for an unusual high number of mail-in ballots, as voters look to avoid ballots at polling centers where they could potentially contract the coronavirus, DeJoy acted outside of his authority to implement changes on the postal system and did not follow the proper procedures under federal law, according to a statement from Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. The USPS and DeJoy have maintained that the changes are intended to improve agency dire financial situation. DeJoy also rejects allegations that he made these changes at Trump's behest. At least two lawsuits are being filed Tuesday. One led by Washington State will be joined by Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Another group of state Democrat attorney generals are filing a similar lawsuit in Pennsylvania federal court. These states include California, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Delaware, Maine, and North Carolina. The Postal Service is also facing in, in, intense scrutiny from the Congressional Democrats who announced earlier this week that they are ramped up their probe in what they call recent sweeping and dangerous operational changes at the Postal Service that are slowing the mail and jeopardizing the integrity of the election. DeJoy is set to testify before a Senate committee on Friday and House Oversight Committee next week. Trump and other Republicans have been rallying against mail-in voting, basically asserting that it will lead to voter fraud, with the president saying last week that he opposes much-needed funding for the United States Postal Service. He doesn't want to see it used for mail-in voting this November. I'll read something, some uh, comments by Jacob A. and uh, on YouTube, as he says, If you send votes by mail... The mail would be in a sealed envelope. It would be handled handled by the U.S. by sorry the USPS until it reaches its destination. 
Thus, the only people who could realistically change the ballot would be at the actual destination of the votes, thereby making the threat, if fraud, the same as for traditionally submitted ballots, at least for this one type of fraud. Yeah, that is a very true point, and I don't... I guess I would say to, to that comment that I do think that that type of fraud is is similar. I'm not going to argue against that. I do think you are right. And you may even say that the Mellon fraud is the same fraud as in-person voting because it's a similar concept and would take a similar idea to overturn. And I don't know if I I necessarily disagree with that as a career, as a comment, Jacob. But at the same time, I do think that Mellon my Bellin voting might up that chance of fraud a little bit higher. I don't know if I necessarily trust the idea of voting by mail than I do voting in person. And maybe that's just lack of understanding of the Mellon system, or maybe that's just my own personal opinion on the issue. But I would much rather vote in person because I would feel much safer in in that vote than I do sending it through mail. I just feel like there's a little bit more of an opportunity to change things through mail. I don't know if that's necessarily the case 100% or as you said since it's in a still or sorry stilled since it's in a sealed envelope it would make a it, that much of a difference. But before I go on to this next article, I have a question from White Candle as he says What's the difference between the game show, To Tell the Truth, and a Democratic Convention? Answer. On To Tell the Truth, at least one of the people on the stage is telling the truth. <laughs> We're going to get to the Democratic National Convention. Don't worry, uh, White, Cat, White Candle. And uh, I'll continue on to the topic at hand. This is by Bloomberg Opinion, and the article is by Timothy L. O'Brien. And the headline reads... Trump can't hide his true reason for delaying, or sorry, delaying, derailing the post office. <clears throat> Taking reporters' questions on the White House lawn Monday morning about the future of the U.S. Postal Service and Mellon balloting, or balloting, President Donald Trump dissembled. One of these things the post office loses so much money on is delivering packages for Amazon and those others. Every time they deliver a package, they properly lose three or four dollars, he said. That's not good. They have to raise those prices. Okay, not for the people to pay, but for Amazon and those companies to pay. Trump has been asserting this for years and is not true. Delivering packages provides a handsome revenue boost to the U.S. Postal Service, thanks to e-commerce companies such as Amazon.com Inc. and the others that ship packages in vast truckloads. But packaging, package delivery is a small part of the Postal Service operation. Mail delivery is its lifeblood and it has been withering. A big chunk of the Postal Service loses about $32.6 billion for fiscal years of 2014 through 2019, are also due to congressional mandate requiring it to, to pre-fund future, retro, future retire health benefits for its employees, which many other public and private entities don't have to do. So no, none of those financial problems are caused by package deliveries. 
There are ways to shore up postal service finances, including encouraging its sparkling retail network of post offices to offer more diverse services and become more entrepreneurial. Jacking up the price of postage stamps would also help, but an important commission sets those prices, not the postal service. It also is besides the point that the real issue at hand is the possible corruption of the November election. Focusing on the Postal Service finances in the spring gave Trump cover to settle scores with people he considers enemies, such as Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos. Trump is focusing on the Postal Service's losses now because it covers for a push to slow down mail delivery before a presidential election in which mail-in balloting is likely to surge. There's no secret to his opposition to mail-in voting. Recent posts indicate that those who favor widespread mail-in voting also lean to lean more heavily in favor of his opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden. And I do think that there is a correlation between, I would say, age and the voter of Joe Biden. A lot of older generations, including grandparents that many millennials might have, or even Gen Z might have, are, are former Democratic voters. A lot of people vote along party lines. They're either fully Democrat or fully Republican, and there's not really swaying them either way. I know my mom tells a funny story of one of her grandparents who was basically super strict on the fact that you have to be a Democrat in order to enter the house. And that was his whole thing. His whole thing was making sure that 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 she, in this case, would have been a Democrat because he was a hardcore Democrat himself and somebody that voted along the Democratic lines. So I do think that age and a Democrat do kind of meet hand-to-hand within older generations than in the past, but it's not necessarily the full point. And I want to say this before we get too deep into the mail topic. I don't know that necessarily the Postal Service is that big of an issue, especially if Jacob's still listening, because I think that we're thinking along the lines uh, from reading his comments, but I could be wrong. But essentially, I don't really think I see this Postal Service fraud as being too much of a major problem. It could lead to potential more fraud or maybe just the same amount of fraud if you think that the system of mail-in mail-in, mail-in voting is not necessarily uh, that ideal or in, a, in this case would be ideal. Whatever you want to think of mail-in voting, if you don't see it as, I don't necessarily see it as being a huge issue. And that's kind of why I called this episode, Is the Postal Service Really a Big Issue? In reference to voting fraud or in general with this article and some others about the analysis of the postal business struggling. And that is why the postal uh, president, you could say our CEO of the first article from CNN, was wanting to implement some changes within the Postal Service due to lack of money and needing to to create something to make the business more profitable. And this happened at a time to where mowing mail-in uh, voting was a high issue and most likely the biggest way of voting unless COVID magically disappears within the next couple of months which I don't necessarily see happening. So CNN and other uh, uh, articles like it and media companies like it 
went towards the attack of the CEO and that's why he's going to have all these hearings and such because they think he might be changing it due to Trump's actions or due to Trump's words or simply due to just financial interests to keep the Postal Service alive. But some people found the coincidence of him wanting to change something too 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 good to match the circumstances of it not being related to President Trump's comments. But that's kind of a little bit of a side tangent before but I wanted to quickly kind of talk about that a little bit before I uh, talk about it a little bit more within the next couple articles. But I'll take a quick drink break and then we'll continue. Trump has said He's simply being vigilant because he doesn't believe the Postal Service is equipped to handle flood of mail-in ballots. Consider this, however. The Postal Service delivered about 800 million packages and 13 billion pieces of mail between Thanksgiving and New Year's last year. Even if every, even, sorry, even if every one of roughly 130 mil, uh, million voters mailed their ballots this fall, the Postal Service could handle it. Well, it could handle the volume if roadblocks weren't in its way. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, a Trump mega-donor, recently cut back overtime hours for postal workers. A mail slowdown slowdown followed. The Postal Service has also taken mail shorting machines offline. After a social backlash, the Postal Service said it would stop removing mailboxes from sidewalks, a routine practice it says it has always used to limit clustering and road red pl- red ploy unused mailboxes <laughs> have you encouraged mr dejoy to slow the mail mr president a reporter asked trump on monday have you ever encouraged the postmaster general a big donor to you to slow the mail no not at all wouldn't do that Trump responded, no, I have encouraged everybody, speed up the mail, not slow the mail. Right. Except Donald Trump told Fox News last Thursday that it wouldn't release 10 billion Democrats want for the Postal Service. It would allow for universal mail-in voting. And the Washington Post reported last week that the Postal Service has already warned 46 states and the District of Columbia that it can't guarantee that all mail-in ballots cast for November election will arrive in enough time to be counted. I signed an absent ballot. Absent ballots are great. They work. They have been proven. They have. They are good, like in Florida, Trump said on Monday. But this universal melon is very dangerous thing. It's fraught with fraud and every other thing that can happen. And we have to be very, very care- careful. Absentee ballots are great. They have worked for a long time. And I totally endorse absentee ballots. For all practical purposes, there isn't really any difference between mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. There is also no truth to Trump's repeated claim that mail-in voting is riddled with fraud. And he clearly thinks voting by mail is fine in Florida, where he now resides, but nowhere else. Alarm bells ring. Alarm bells have been ringing about the Postal Service's fate for months. And it grew louder in recent days. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has called the House back into session this Saturday to vote on billions in fresh funding for the service and to pass legislation blocking some of DeJoy's recent maneuvers. 
but the Senate has no such plans of its own. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, uh, sorry, Mitch McConnell said he thinks the Postal Service is going to be just fine. And this article goes on for a little bit longer, so again, if you would like to read the whole article, it will be linked in my YouTube description and later in where you listen to your podcast, you can find all of the articles there. I did think that this article was rather good at providing a complete opposite perspective to, I would say, the average Trump voter or average conservative for that matter. And mail-in voting and mail-in fraud is something that I don't necessarily know uh, that much about. But you always kind of hear is something that is very, 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 very big with fraud. Even though I don't necessarily know any examples of it necessarily myself. Besides the rare examples you hear or the bizarre examples you hear such as in Florida. But I'll continue on to this next opinion piece as well. And this is kind of along the lines of uh, the Bloomberg article. But this is by Washington Post. And it says, take a deep breath. There's nothing conspiratorial happening at the Postal Service. And this is by Henry Olson. President Trump conflicting comments about the U.S. Postal Service President Trump's convicting comments about the U.S. Postal Service and the security of mail-in voting have made headlines and stoked anxiety. When a closer look at what's actually happened at the USPS reveals nothing that hints at a hidden plot to steal the election. The Postal Service was troubled long before the coronavirus pandemic made it obvious that many Americans were going to cast their ballots by mail. In the efforts to grapple with this Chronic multi-billion annual loose losses aren't new either. The advent of email was a fiscal hurricane for the vulnerable institution. It has lost money for 13 consecutive years. With the total losses of roughly $78 billion, the USPS lost nearly $9 billion in the past fiscal year, a 125% increase over the previous year. If it was were a wholly private business, it would have been declared bankrupt a long ago. Given these challenges, it shouldn't be surprising that the new Postal General, Louis DeJoy, has a mandate to turn the ship around and is pursuing significant changes to achieve it. But the USPS has a very strong union, and any change in operations that will achieve savings and guarantee new revenue will almost certainly result in lower overtime and fewer employees. This means the solitary democratic unions have ever intensive to fight back, and they are using the election as their lever to force a system-wide bailout. The democratic house leadership has been happy to oblige. It tried to force a massive bailout through the CARES Act in spring and has again included a $25 billion bailout and the HEROES Act it passed earlier this summer. The USPS says it does not need additional funding to handle the expected uptick in mail-in balloting. Even if it's wrong, it surely does not need $25 billion to handle what is no more than an additional couple of percentage points of mail than it usually handles in the fall months. This ad and its holable are about keeping the Postal Service afloat without 
asking it to improve its business practices, not protecting the integrity of the presidential election. The USPS letter last week to 46 states warning of potential delays and meaning the state-imposed bailout delivery deadlines is simply a reality check, not a sign that the joy changes are disrupting the election. Many states allow votes to voters to request mail-in ballots as late as four days before the election. In some states, a person's request can be received the Friday before the election day with a requirement that the ballot must be postmarked or returned no later than the following Tuesday. It would be extremely difficult for the USPS to guarantee it would pick up a ballot from the election agency on Friday afternoon. Deliver it to a voter no later than Monday and then either get it back for postmate marking or delivery it to an election agency on Tuesday. One mistake by anyone, the election agency, the voter, or the individual in the USPS could disrupt this extremely tight sequence. It's an election equivalent of switching planes in a major airport with only 30 minute window to make your connection. So I thought I would kind of stop with that part of the article, and as I mentioned with the with the previous article, you can go back to the description if you want to read the whole thing. But I kind of wanted to end with that point, as this one did talk a little bit uh, similar to the last one, but also was very different in providing a different perspective to the whole postal office concern through being more of DeJoy being innocent than him having some alternative motive of uh, action within the Postal Service. And essentially, I thought it was kind of interesting that the voter fraud that he brought up in this article was more into how the system would work than someone mischievously mischanging the ballot or someone kind of having more of a mask or more of a clever way to um, to change the ballot. Basically, instead of the ways I was mentioning earlier in the video, it would simply just be voter fraud due to the system itself being flawed and somebody might for, uh, leave the ballot or forget to do a certain step or be too rushed and make a mistake and ship them to the wrong address or whatever it might actually be. You're leaving, you're having too many people along the line for it to be a completely 100% flawless system. But at the same point, uh, in-person voting doesn't necessarily have a flawless system either. So either way does lead to potential fraud. But I would say that there's a little bit different uh, types of fraud than just the ones we are talking about in uh, that article or the articles uh, beforehand. This last article is by Fox News and it reads, Dems push ballot drop boxes aimed UPS woes as Trump raises new security concerns. And this is by Paul Marissa and here we go. Election officials in the District of Columbia are boosting the number of bailout drop boxes for the uh, autumn's general election, and they are not alone. Officials in states across the country, including Arizona, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin, are also making similar moves to give voters our safe, socially dis uh, distance option that cast their, their ballots. But the push for more ballot boxes comes as President Trump continues a relentless assault on voting by mail. 
which he respectively claimed will lead to massive voter fraud. And it comes as the President and Democratic in Congress battle over increased funding for the U.S. Postal Service ahead what is sure to be a massive surge in voting by mail. A boost in the number of bailout boxes would let a larger percentage of voters bypass mailing in their ballots. After cutting overtime and late deliveries to deal with its budget woes, the Postal Service last week warned states that it couldn't guarantee that all mail-in ballots would be received in time to be counted, which is something that uh, we have read several times in this podcast and in this episode. But I haven't necessarily talked about or hinted on as of yet. And it is something that is rather concerning. If you cast your vote in by mail, or for that matter, if you cast your vote in by anything, by person, by mail, by whatever, you're expecting that vote to be counted. So anytime that vote is not counted or miscounted or or changed or whatever else you might uh, have as an example, is a fraud and is an invalid way. And is something that is concerning and something that we need to make sure does not happen. And basically, the very simple of that is, anytime you place a vote, you want your vote to count. So if the Postal Service and mail-in ballots can't promise 100% or even 90% or whatever that your vote is going to count, then it's simply a flawed system. Uh, think of it this way. If you don't get your vote counted as an individual you're, and you, 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 you trust voting and voting is something you see as an American right and something that you need to do as an American, a civil duty, you could say, you're going to feel very angry if you didn't learn that your vote didn't count. But then you have to think more of a political perspective. So if you're a politician or if you're a committee... Or if you're running a science experiment, what is the number you would give to a system before you consider it flawed? Now, if you think of it democratically, you would think that this number or this system would have to be 100%. Any vote that is not counted is wrong in a flawed system. Something that's very generic. But, again, you, you need, we, we're, t- we're taking more of a scientific approach. More of a politician-y type of approach. So what is the number you would say you would be happy with at the end of the day for it to count? I would say it would have to be at least 90% of people's votes counting within the mail-in ballots. And personally myself, I don't think that 90% is a good enough number for the system to be 100% right or for the system to be useful and for the system to be good, whatever adjective you want to add to that. But I think as a committee, you would say that that number would have to be 90%. So if the post office and if the community around it or if politicians around it and blah, 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 say that not every vote could count. Well, what is the number they think they could count for people's votes? Is it over 90% of who mellows in their ballots gets counted? But at the same time, how are they necessarily going to know that full number? Are they going to check it from the first time it gets mailed in in the first checkpoint? Well, you don't know if every mail or every ballot made it to that first checkpoint. But what happens between that first checkpoint and that second checkpoint within the line and within the system? So there's just several steps and several things within the system that are kind of flawed and lead to not a 
flawless system as obviously they're flawed. And yes, in-person voting does have some of those issues as well. But the more people you get involved within a situation, the more chance you have for it to not work. So that's, I think, a very major thing in what we're reading. And I've kind of read over it so far in these articles, but I do think it needs to be talked about. But I'll continue on reading. Following intense pushback across the country, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, a strong Trump supporter who was appointed by the president, announced this week that he was suspending a number of post-cutting changes that have been implemented but that critics argued would hamper the ability of the Postal Service to handle mail-in ballots. Sorry. House Democrats cast doubt about DeJoy's announcement and say that they were pressed forward with a vote Saturday to outlaw distributions to mail service. House Secretary Nancy Pelosi downplayed the Joyce announcement as a temporary pause in Trump's election sabotage campaign. She said the House Democrats' bill would give $25 billion in funding the UPS board and wanted and would, sorry, the USPS board had wanted that and would profit the joy from cutting back on mail service during the coronavirus pandemic. I don't know if that's just me, but that wor- that sentence was way hard. All right, let's continue. While the flight in the nation's capital continues, the push for mail-in ballots is coming under attack from the president. And I'll read President Trump's tweet here. Some states use drop boxes for the collection of universal mail-in ballots. So who is going to collect the ballots? And what might be done for them prior to tabulation? A rigged election? So bad for our country. Only absentee ballots are acceptable. And I have to admit myself, I don't know too much about absentee ballots. As I know the one article talked about that an absentee ballot, ba- uh, ballot is different than a physical mail-in ballot or the system they want to use for the presidential election and what's getting talked about here. But, uh, like I just said, I'm not 100% sure what the difference are between them, so I can't necessarily comment on that issue until I do a little bit more research on uh, mail-in ballots and the difference between absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. Uh, I'm not super uh, knowledgeable on that. But the Fox News article goes on for a little bit more, and I'll read Governor Bill uh, Phil Murray's comments, uh, but first... Yeah, I'll read his comments and then we'll we'll go to the next topic. Let me be clear. Vote by mail in November election will keep people safe, period. The Trump campaign is embarking on a brazen attempt to sow fear and confusion and to delegitimize our elections and cast doubt on our democratic process. I thought that was a good way to kind of end the issue at hand before I talk about my next point and move into the next topic. The, the the major thing within this is I do think there is some element of anti-Trump within people's comments and within people's comments. And, and what I mean by that is the fact that Trump is somebody that's a very divisive figure. Somebody not... Uh, Trump is not... So not everyone's friend. And the president is obviously not supposed to be everyone's friend. But not a lot of people like Trump. And that's a very 
easy thing to say. I think everybody knows that. And there's a big thing of Trump derangement syndrome. And basically, people who can't stand Trump so much that they do everything he says or everything he does, they have to go against. And I do think that there is a little bit of that within Trump talking about the mail-in system. I don't know if the mail-in system 100% gives way to fraud as much as it does in person. But I do think it might give a little bit more chances for a fraud, flawed system or a fraud even to happen within the process of voting. It may not be by a particular person or on purpose, but simply by the system and how it's designed to happen. And I do think that there does need that there does need to be some talk about maybe making the mail-in system a little bit better and allowing the postal service a little bit uh, better chance or a little bit better protocol to make sure that everyone's vote does make it into the system and does count. But before we move into the next topic, I'm going to take a quick drink and we'll continue. Excuse me. I thought we would uh, start with a short video clip. I hope the audio is a little bit better than it was the last time I tried this. I do think that I fixed the issue a little bit better than beforehand. So I hope uh, it comes across clear within the live stream. But if not, I do have a couple of other uh, ideas for making it a little bit better. As well as just simply restarting my OBS because the sound thing doesn't seem to work the best. I can't quite figure it out. And uh, anyway, long story short, I don't want to get bogged down on those issues. But I'll play part of this video and uh, we'll hope for the best. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think Things cannot possibly get worse. Trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. We have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. Purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters and they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new. But this is not the time 
to withhold our votes in protests or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. Well, I kind of lied. I played all 1 minute and 59 seconds of uh, Michelle Obama. But I was thinking as I was, I was only going to play the first 30 seconds as I had a few notes and a few comments I wanted to uh, talk about from it. But I decided uh, throughout those first uh, 30 seconds that I was going to play the whole thing because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking anything out of context and for the viewers now or for the viewers in the future that I wasn't taking anything out of context. So Michelle Obama is obviously the first lady or former first lady of uh, of uh, Obama. Obviously. <laughs> anyway, I don't even know why I had to say that. I think that's, that, that it's very obvious. But basically what she had to say was that things can get worse and Trump is the wrong person to be president or the wrong president in the case that uh, you need to uh, endorse or vote for Joe Biden. As that is what she said in the Democratic National Convention, I believe on the second day that it was uh, hosted. But she also said a point I wanted to mention. And identity politics is something that has been very rampant within our political system. And I think is something that is very wrongful and very hurtful. And Michelle Obama also had a comment in there about that she hates politics. And obviously as a former first lady, you had to agree to Obama running and his campaign and everything else. And she did many political things within the White House. So that's something that's kind of um, kind of counterintuitive, and I don't know if I trust that fully from her for her comment. But the big thing that I wanted to mainly talk about was the fact of her comments on really identity, saying that she would think because she was black that everyone would listen to her or hear her or trust her opinion or whatever else. I just think as America, we are past identity politics. It's something that drives me very crazy because I think that the majority of Americans, and I mean majority, mass majority, are not racist people and don't see color of anyone's skin. So I think her continuing to go along the lines of this narrative is something that is very aggravating. And I think something that doesn't necessarily help the country, but more just keeps the narrative ongoing and I think the narrative needs to change in order for America to change in order for America to become better yes there are racists in America yes there are racists in America I want to say that twice just so you know and just so it's completely obvious everyone knows that and there's racist in every country and but to continue the identity politics even as the Democratic National Convention, just saying because you're black, people won't listen to you, is absurd, and it's something that did make me a little bit angry. But that's kind of a whole side tangent, but I thought I would kind of start there before we continue to, well, the next topic, and that is the DNC. As this is from CNN and Chris Chaliza. I probably didn't say that right, but I know I got Chris right. Hits and misses from night two of the Democratic National Convention. CNN, the second night of the 2020 Democratic National Convention is over. The oddness of all the virtual gathering was slightly less jarring than one of the opening night, or maybe I was just more used to it. Odd 
old hands like Bill Clinton were mixed with young stars like New York representative Alexander or is, or Alexander Cortez, Alexandra Cortez. In a series of virtual speeches, it was overall a marketably better two hours than I witnessed on Monday night. Hits. The McCain video. I was rarely swayed by a Republican speaking on a Democratic vision, or vice versa. But the video narrated, narrated by Cindy McCain, documenting the longtime friendship of John McCain and Joe Biden, was extremely well done and reaffirmed the central message of Biden's presidential campaign. He is someone with the willingness and ability to work across the aisle. Someone who believes more in people than pristine labels. Hearing McCain's voice again was both haunting and uplifting, and a reminder that politics can be a good thing. Addie Barkan, the story of a young father afflicted with AOS, is well known, but no less powerful for it. The video of Barkland playing with his young child, the voiceover of him explaining why he is fighting so hard on healthcare. It was a powerful, emotional, and human mo uh, moment. Jill Biden. She isn't Michelle Obama, but what no one is. Joe Biden did what she needed to do in her speech. She told Biden's story, a life marked by both tragedy and resilience, in a way that no one else could. Her testimony to her husband, faith, and how he learned on to get him through the hardest of times was important to disturbing the narrative pushed by President Donald Trump that former vice president doesn't care about God. Plus, I like that Biden's cameo and the I am Joe husband introduction a little hokey sure but that's what conventions are and then it mentioned two other things but i was going to talk briefly about mrs mrs bill clinton the former president has spoken at every democratic convention since 1980 and he is a former democratic president of the united states so it was not easy to tell him no but for a party that has fully embraced the me too movement and is leaning on women to be donald trump the image of Clinton was a jarring one. You may remember that the president, he has an external affair with the White House intern. Clinton didn't get much time to speak, five-ish minutes, and it was a very early moment of the night's programming, but still. Chuck Schrumer. I could just imagine the every media-aware media Senate Majority Leader setting up the shot. Senate Statue of Liberty in the background for a speech, except that the state was so blurry that you would barely recognize it. I love the plain symbolism of the shot was ruined by the need for a wide aperture light on it. Alexander or Alexander Cortez Watching AOC deliver a 90-second nomination speech for Sanders in the first hour of the convention was sort of going to a Yankees game and seeing Aaron Judge pitch hit. It just felt sort of like a waste of talent. I understand that the Biden team didn't want AOC, a GOP lightning rod, to be front and center in a big prime team speech, but it felt like she could have been deployed in a much more effective way than she was. I don't think that the DNC really wanted to show Alexander uh, too much because uh, um, uh, Joe Biden is wanting to get more of the moderate type of vote, and AOC is definitely not a moderate candidate and very much a pro uh, progressive candidate. As well as you don't want someone that's going to endorse Biden to speak for, or going to endorse Sanders, speak for too long when that's someone that you've already beaten and something you don't uh, really want to happen. So I don't think that that's necessarily that odd, but I'll continue. <clears throat> John Kerry. 
Man, I mean, I understand the idea of a former Democratic presidential nominee and Secretary of State using his perceived gravitas to help make the case that Donald Trump is dangerous to America standing in the ward. But another elder statement of the Democratic old guard in a suit talking about why Trump is bad and a delicately in a decently I don't know what I could have done without it. So that was his opinion of the Democratic National Convention. And I have to be honest, I didn't watch any of the uh, National Convention myself. That's not something that really uh, I thought was too interesting. Uh, so I didn't really watch it. Something that I didn't really uh, care for too much. And I don't really want to watch the Republican National uh, Convention either. The conventions are just ideas I think only the hardcore of each party really enjoy. So just I was had zero interest in that. Next topic. Trump visits Minnesota and Wisconsin in, in Envisions a grim future if Biden wins. And this is by CBS News. President Trump continued attacks on Joe Biden as Democrats prepared to kick off the National Convention on Monday. On campaign stops in Minnesota and Wisconsin, Mr. Trump rallied against Mellon voting and claimed if Sleepy Joe was elected, the country would descend into a socialist regime. regime. The president sim summed up his election strategy and fury with one line in Wisconsin: "The only way we lose is if elections. It, sorry, the only way we lose the election is if the election is rigged." At an event in Mankato, Man Minnesota, the first of two campaign stops Monday, Mr. Trump made the unproven claim that Biden suffers from cognitive decline while touting his administration's response to the coronavirus and efforts to receive the U.S. economy. We built the greatest economy in the country of the world, and now I have to do it again, Mr. Trump said. That's God testing me. Mr. Trump joked that Biden doesn't know where Minnesota is. I don't say Biden because I don't think he knows what the hell is happening. I think if you mention... If you mentioned, you know, you shouldn't have done that to Minnesota, he will say, where's Minnesota? I don't know anything. I don't know what Minnesota is. Where is that, please? The president continued painting a worst-case scenario vision of the country if Biden wins, insisting he will change the country around in an irreversible way. He alleged that a Biden-Harris administration would take away guns and allow hardened criminals to roam the streets. Mr. Trump continued his baseline attacks on mail-in voting, including on the secure drop boxes that many states, including Republican-led states, use. They want to send them out, and they want to have billions of ballots, Mr. Trump said. They said, oh, we have dropped them in the lockbox. There is no evidence that a widespread fraud from mail-in voting, the president's own commission on voting fraud, found scant evidence of, of it before before the commission itself disbanded. In Minneapolis, Mr. Trump mocked the Democratic National Convention for featuring taped speeches, including that of Michelle Obama, who addressed who, whose address will be featured Monday night. There's nothing very exciting about taped speeches, he said. He also attacked the city's recent vote to dismantle the police department. He's called council members who supported it fools, and he falsely claimed Joe Biden want to take away your Second Amendment. Remember this, I am the only thing standing in the way of your second 
and mimic, Mr. Chump warned. An article goes on for a little bit more, but the main point of that article was saying that Trump is taking a very aggressive, a very attack-based approach at Joe Biden's campaign. And I think that that has always been Trump's strategy. Trump is very much a guy like, look, look at me. Look at all the good I am doing. Look at all the bad uh, the other person is doing. In In this case being Joe Biden. And Joe Biden is a very easy target due to his mental condition that many people have seen and laughed at and whatever else. And also the fact that Kamala Harris is now on her team. As Kamala Harris as a... Uh, how do I say it? leads to some potential uh, issues with his whole campaign. And if you want to to hear about that, you can listen to my last podcast as I go in-depth about the problems Kamala Harris might bring to Joe Biden's campaign. But I'll continue on to this next article. Tonight could make or break the election for Democrats. After a doom and gloom couple of days, they should bear that in mind. And this is by The Independent and John T. Bennett. Joe Biden will, after decades of trying, accept a Democratic Party's nomination on President on Thursday night. But because the, the party has blown many a big lead Wednesday, it's the biggest night of the virtual convention. Excuse me. The party has laid it on rather thick over the first two nights of prime time. There has been the inevitable case making for Democratic honkos and heavyweights like former Presidents Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. If former Secretary of State John Kerry, Congressional Voices Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to come on Wednesday night, Democratic voters and even former Republican officials disguised by the President's antics. But there have been so much doom and gloom if one stuffed it into a large omelets and boxes, it would be impossible to fit it all inside a small fleet of the United States Postal Service big rig trucks that Trump seems to want off the road pronto. We have heard about numerous loved ones described as dying alone in unsafe nursing homes. Our nurses are overwhelmed and unprotected, and our essential workers are treated as dispensable. We live in the richest country in history, and yet we do not guarantee the most basic human rights, AOS victim A.D. Berkman told the county on night two of the four-night event. Everyone living in America should get the health care they need, regardless of their employment status or ability to pay. In a line that could have been ripped from a Trump speech about Democrats, Berkman accused the president of trying to take away millions of people's health insurance. He called a second Trump term an existential threat. The Democrats have fed us dark video packages over amplifying many of the illegitimate problems the country faces. Just wish with warnings about the Democrats' impending death and musical numbers more benefiting memorial service than a political event intended to gain up via votes. This has been some dark programming, folks. Former President Clinton described the Oval Office as a storm center, with Trump as his occupant because there's only chaos, adding that at a time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Now you have to decide whatever to review his contract or hire someone else. If you want a president who defines a job as spending hours a day watching TV and zapping people on social media, he's your man, Clinton said. Denying distracting and demising work works great if you are trying to entertain and inflame. 
but in real crisis, it collapses like a house of cards. So that's what Bill Clinton said about Donald Trump within the DNC, uh, the Democratic National Convention. And obviously the Democratic National Convention is speaking to, well, Democrats. So that's something that a lot of people are going to watch if you are a hardcore Democrat. And if you're a hardcore Republican, you're probably going to watch the the Republican National Committee or the RNC. And this last article by CNN is the last one I'm going to read on DNC before we move on to some COVID news and then go from there. Fact-checking the first two nights of the Democratic Convention. Como and the virus. New York Andrew Como boasts a Monday of his state's efforts to fight the coronavirus. Contrasting his government's approach with how federal government has handled the pandemic, Como said that as they proved their way filled, we proved that our w- way succeeded. I'm actually going to, to skip this article because really it repeats a lot of what the other articles have said. So if you do want to uh, watch that article or read that article, you can. It is in the description, but I don't think it really adds any new insight to what I've talked about before. But before I move on, I do want to say a couple things. And one I've kind of briefly said already, and that's essentially it only is the hardcore supporters of the Democrats who are going to watch a event like this. But it also is very important for the Democrat and for Joe Biden to gain some support within this event because every vote is going to count in this election. A lot of people see this election as being potentially close. But now we're going to go to some COVID news. And this is by CBS Boston. Flu vaccine now required for all Massachusetts students by December 31st. Boston CBS. All students in Massachusetts will be required to get the flu vaccine before the end of the year. State public officials made an announcement Wednesday signing the importance of reducing flu-related illnesses aimed the coronavirus pandemic. Influenza uh, immunization will be required for all children six months of age or older who are attending Massachusetts child care, preschool, kindergarten, K-12, and college and universities, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health said in a statement. Students are expected to get their flu vaccine by December 31st, 2020. Expectations will be made for medical or religious reasons, the state said. Homeschooled students and college students who are completely off campus or only learning remotely are also extinct. On top of all COVID-19 troubles, you may as well cut one thing out, said Natick. Mom just... uh, when she heard the nuance announcement, especially this year, it's one of the less things to worry about if you get the flu shot. Hopefully it's very effective this year. And it goes on to talk a little bit more. But obviously, there are some concerns to requiring a flu vaccine for everybody, as people might not want to necessarily do it. And really, as an American, you have the right not to get a vaccine. But at the same time, through health conditions and other things, our health and coronavirus being such a big topic and such being such a big virus, it's very important that we take every precaution within protecting ourselves. 
and a flu vaccine does seem to make sense from my perspective, but I could see some concern from other people's perspectives. <clears throat> this article is loading. Here we go. I thought we would end, well, I'll just read the headline, and then we'll go from there. Woman who lost father to COVID-19, his only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. A woman lost her father to the coronavirus, exploited the president on the first night of the Democratic Convention, declaring in an appointed speech that her father's only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. Christian Ucarez, whose father, Mark Ucarez, died from the virus in June, said in a video message Monday night he paid with his life by trusting the president repeated instances that the pandemic would go away. The coronavirus has made clear that those are two Americans, the, the America that Donald Trump lives in and the America that my father died in, she said. Enough is enough. Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus, but his dishonesty and his irresistible actions made it so much worse. The comments marked one of the most pungent moments of the night as the Democrats kicked off the DNC with a two-hour virtual event built on the theme of unity. The four-night event began as former Vice President Joe Biden led his showing signs of narrowing in a CNN poll released Sunday night. 50% of registered voters backed Biden to Trump's 46%, which is right at the poll's margin of error of plus or minus 4 percentage point. And that's a big thing. A lot of people were theorizing, and I theorized on the last uh, political on, on the last podcast that Kamala Harris could potentially be such a divisive candidate as a vice president that she could narrow the vote that or uh, narrow the lead Biden had in polls from his ten percent, seven percent, eight percent, nine percent, you know, that good range, and make it either Trump having an advantage or within being um, close enough that. You don't necessarily know 100% who win, hence the margin of error. So it is something people theorized and thought could potentially happen. So it's kind of interesting to see that that might have actually been the case. But obviously saying that the coronavirus caused, uh, or Trump caused your dad to die from coronavirus due to uh, Trump's just saying that it'll go away and not caring about it as much as she thought. He should he should care about it for is something that I don't think I really have to say much about. Besides that, that is just almost completely stupid. And I'm sorry, but obviously it's sad that your father did die. I don't I don't think I really need to say that. And again, I try to stay as fair as possible and try to take all perspectives. But simply saying that his only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and he died because. He didn't take it as seriously as he should. Just seems political and nothing else. And it's just something I don't think is truthful even in the slightest way. Now, the last article for COVID-19 and our good old Dr. Fauci. And then we have two articles to end the stream. Dr. Anthony Fauci talks to Healthline about COVID-19 vaccines and school safety. In a live town hall hosted by Healthline on Tuesday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the country's leading joining Fauci, we don't care about that. Vaccine candidates are showing promise. Fauci continues to be consciously optimistic that the United States will know if there is an effective, safe vaccine around the end of 2020 or the start of 2021. 
excuse me, by the end of 2021, Fauci expects we will have enough doses for anyone who wants one should a vaccine be approved. And granted, uh, I made a, a brief video about this and an article as well for a college paper, but the process of getting a vaccine or any sort of drug approved by the FDA is something that is a very tedious and very long process, even if it gets sped up due to the urgency of creating a drug or vaccine for COVID-19, it's still not going to be able to get sped up so much and create such a, 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 a fast timeline to where we might have a vaccine faster than we think. So I don't know if expecting a vaccine uh, this year is something that is, is reasonable within the FDA approving, even if you flood a whole bunch of money and make uh, research for it uh, that much more extensive. By the end of 2021, Fauci expects we will have enough doses for anyone. Oh, I just heard. The reason why, Fauci said, is because of promising results. We have seen a preliminary research conducted on multiple vaccine candidates. Studies have shown some of the vaccines can include in, in, in neutralizing antibodies in people that are productive or as uh, potentially better than the, the conovastic plasma, which is present in people who recovered from COVID-19. That's not guaranteed, but it's a good predictor that things will go well, Fauci said. Multiple vaccine candidates are now being evaluated in phase three trials to ensure they are safe and effective. The federal government has also invested hundreds of millions of dollars to jumpstart the manufacturing process so if and when a vaccine is proven, it can be distributed quickly. When asked about Russia's approval of a vaccine, Fauci said it's crucial to understand the difference between having a vaccine versus providing a vaccine works. The Russia vaccine was approved because of, before a critical phase 3 trial was performed, meaning it's unclear if it is safe or even works. Fauci said it takes time to adequately test a vaccine's safety and effectiveness. We will have to be careful when you hear Russia or China or any place else that has a vaccine that they know works. They may have a product that they're willing to take the risk to give to people without necessarily showing that it is effective, Fauci said. And it is somewhat true to what Fauci is saying. Uh, because a vaccine is something that takes multiple years to get approved normally or a drug takes multiple years to get improved. And essentially the drug process is very tedious because you have, as you just mentioned, through child three, but you have three different trial processes and three different testing and you have to have certain results as well as uh, consistent results in order for the FDA to approve something and in order to declare it 100% safe or at least safe within the legal measure for it to be approved. Obviously, there is such thing as symptoms that drugs have and other things uh, that we all know drugs are bad for you in, in some ways. We all understand that. But essentially, just because you're flooding money in doesn't necessarily mean that you need to take safety out of the window as well. So safety is a huge concern. So I thought I would kind of briefly mention that. And you can continue the article as it will be linked in the description if you want and you find this interesting. I am thinking of doing a whole video topic on this uh, on this article and relating to uh, vaccines and drug approval uh, uh, as well. So stay tuned for that. 
Now, my last two articles are about Kamala Harris and two different articles, really. I was going to start with this one and then we'll go to kind of the more uh, normal one. Amazon Halt sells or shirts that use the derogatory term to refer to Kamala Harris. Amazon this week removed shirts from its online marketplace that use the derogatory word to refer to Senator Kamala Harris of California, the Democratic nominee for vice president, the company said on Wednesday. Her shirts featured a fictitious campaign logo for Ms. Harris and Joseph R. Biden. Democratic presidential nominee... I referred to Miss Harris using a slur associated with promiscuity. All servants must follow our selling guidelines, and those who do not will be subject to action, including potential removal of their account, an Amazon spokesperson said in an email. These products have been removed. USA Today, which first reported on the step taken by Amazon, said that one seller, the Oxygen Bandit, sold t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, and sweatshirts with the phrase on its Amazon story. As of Wednesday afternoon, the story still had other pro- products available mock- mocking Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris and their campaign. Ms. Harris, a former Attorney General of California and former San Francisco District Attorney, is the first black woman and first candidate of Indian descent to a major party presidential ticket. Obviously, that... Obviously, that is full-on identity politics. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think that identity politics is something that really should be beefed up and talked about as much as it is. It only creates identity politics and racism even more, something that gets on my nerves and aggravates me very, very much. And it is it's just super aggravating to me. I don't want to get too uh, bogged down on that issue, but whew, that sentence. Yes, it does make history that Kamala Harris is the first black woman and first candidate of Indian descent to be a major party presidential ticket as uh, as Michelle Obama wasn't a vice president, obviously. But again, I don't think that... Yes, it's important. Yes, it's a big deal. But I don't think it's a big deal for the reasons that a lot of left media wants to portray and it simply being just because she is black and just because of her identity that it's a big deal it it just it shouldn't necessarily be that way and yes you might say it's wrong that people are making these derogatory words about promiscuity such as probably slut or whore i didn't see her shirts but i'm assuming that's what they're talking about but obviously because of her history of sleeping her way up into into power as some would say and that is kind of a truthful statement but again it's not that's a little bit of an exaggeration but not at the same time not really but anyway i don't want to get too bogged down cuz it's not 100% what we're talking about but there is a such thing as freedom of speech and freedom of speech is something that should be taken 100% seriously. So by Amazon doing this, it's a little bit counterintuitive to the whole movement of freedom of speech. I don't necessarily know if that's something that is very good as a company perspective, but at the same time isn't really something I thought is a, a super huge concern. But then again, as a company, you do want a company to stay as consistent as possible. So you could argue that they are staying consistent through um, through what they were talking about there. 
So I don't necessarily know if it's if it's fully wrong on this issue. But again, that statement of being the first black person and Indian descent is just something that it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal for just that. Like identity isn't something that really should be. Anyway, I'm just, I don't, anyway. Kamala Harris has to accept historic Democratic vice presidential nominee on third night of convention. So this is when she uh, accepted her vice president nominee. And this is by CNN. Kamala Harris will take a turn. Take Kamala Harris will take a turn in the spotlight on Wednesday at the Democratic National Convention, and she will portray her story of a daughter of Indian and Jamaican immigrants as one that can resonate with all Americans as she marks the case for electing Joe Biden. She will say that she will and Biden are committed to a vision of nation as a beloved community where we are all welcome no matter what we look like, where we come from, or who we love, and that, and one where Americans may not agree on every detail, but are untitled by the fundamental belief that every American human being, that every American human being, oh, sorry, I got distracted, to a vision that, that every American human being is one. Harris will formerly become the first black and South Asian woman ever nominated to a major presidential party ticket. In her own presidential campaign last year, the California senator often argued that President Donald Trump's tactics have torn the nation apart as he focused on as he focused on the separation of families as the broader immigration. I'm I'm sorry. Basically, this article is talking about how Kamala Harris is a is important for the uh, for the ticket because of her identity. And honestly, I'm just kind of tired of hearing this, so I'm not gonna read this last article. Obviously, uh, I don't know. I just I don't have enough energy to really talk about this. Obviously, Kamala Harris. I've spent a whole topic on her in the last podcast. So if you want to hear my thoughts, you can listen to that. But I just, I get tired of people saying just because of your identity, it makes you more important or makes you better. And I don't think that America is as racist as a lot of Democrats and a lot of people want to, want to portray it as. So it just get it just gets on my nerves and uh, I, I, I just don't have enough energy or enough strength to really read this article. I might make a individual video later just because I do think the article does provide a perspective. I just... I just can't do it right now on this podcast and this live stream. So again, I want to thank everybody who uh, who is watching now or maybe watching later. Jacob A. and uh, White Candle, I appreciate your comments on YouTube. And I appreciate everyone that is listening to me and listening to me in the future. Again, make sure to check out freedomscoop.com for all the live streams and individual videos of other content creators if you like what you heard today or if you're just interested in hearing anyone else's opinion besides just mainstream news. Again, thank you very much and thank you for listening to the Breakdown with Birkinoff episode.